You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Well, good morning, Impact. Today is week three of the series called The Power of Giving. And I'm especially excited about the, the topic today because what we get to do today is we get to look at how Jesus kind of flips this whole idea of giving and how only he can do certain things when it comes to giving. So we in our own power can do a certain amount. And what we've looked at so far is we've seen that an overview of giving is, is more like an investment into the kingdom. That giving of our time, giving of our money, giving of our talents is really an opportunity to invest into the kingdom, not just an obligation to give because the Bible just tells us to give. And then last week we talked about the, the really uh, bad subject of money and finances, and we got to see how our finances and our money can really reveal some things about us. It can really reveal some things about our priorities. It can reveal some things about our intimacy with God and how we're chasing after Him. But this morning we get to see, and this is very important for us, we get to see how when we give, Jesus does things that we could never imagine with our gifts. That Jesus can take what we give and He can multiply those gifts, and he can use those gifts in any kind of way that he sees fit for his glory, for his kingdom, for his will. And all he really wants from us is to be faithful in our giving. It doesn't really matter the amount. It doesn't matter the time that we spend doing it. It doesn't matter the, the actual gift in itself. It matters, like we've talked about each week, is the attitude of our giving, the heart of the giver. And then Jesus begins to do things that we just could never fathom or imagine being done. And we're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning. And what I want to do is we're going to read the first 13 verses, and then I want to give you a little background. And then we're going to look at four different characters of this story, four different people that were involved in this miracle that we're going to read about. And we're going to look at their mindsets and how they each gave different things and how they each thought about the situation a little differently. And ultimately, what I really want us to see this morning is how no matter what is going on, Jesus is still Jesus. That no matter what is, is uh, in the way, no matter what issues are facing the world or a situation, that God is still in control. And that's the true power of giving. And I want us to see that this morning. So we're going to start in John 6, verse 1. John chapter 6, verse 1. And it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. 
Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. God, I pray this morning that you're honored and glorified. God, I pray that as you speak through your spirit, God, that we truly understand what it means to to give, what it means to trust in you and what it means for you to be in control and to do things that only you could do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a little background. So Jesus had been teaching. People are following Jesus because they see how he's healing the sick. He continues to heal and people continue to follow. So Jesus and his disciples kind of go up on a, on a mountain area and people continue to follow. So as, as Jesus is kind of trying to get a little bit of, of retreat, he's trying to get away a little bit. The crowd is just constantly following Jesus. Now think about this. Here's the, the, the Messiah or the one claiming to be the Messiah, and he's performing miracles, and he's doing things that they've never seen done before. And they are just following him, just droves of people following after Jesus. And he, he doesn't really ever tell them that he doesn't want them. He doesn't really ever say, hey, I don't really like the way that I look. I don't really like the way that you look. I don't really like where you're from. He continues to just teach and to love people. So this crowd is following after him and he looks up and he sees this crowd coming. Now they had been following him for days. He had been teaching them for days. And this is one of my favorite parts of the story, but I want you to get this this morning, is that Jesus doesn't just care about you spiritually. He wanted to teach and teach, but he saw all these people and realized, hey, they must be hungry. He cares about you physically. He cares about you as a person, as a human. So yeah, he wants to pour into you spiritually, but he also wants you to have provision and prosperity physically in your life. That doesn't mean that we're going to be millionaires. It doesn't mean that we're never going to not have health issues. It means that he cares about you. It means that he's always there for you, even in the circumstances that we don't want to be in. And this is so true in this situation because he, he didn't have to worry about how they ate. He didn't tell them to continue to follow They did that on their own, and he didn't have to care, but he did, and he looks up, and he says, hey, how are we going to feed all these people? And the first person I want us to look at is Philip, because that's who Jesus asked, and what Philip gave in this story is he gave his logical perception of what was going on. Now, I did some, just some fumbling around through the Gospels. This is the only miracle, by the way, recorded in all four Gospels. The only one. 
So you can jump from each one and kind of get different parts of the story because the eyewitnesses are never going to have the same exact story. And that's what makes the Bible so amazing is that the gospels, the gospels witness of, of these stories are a little different because one disciple saw it a different way than another disciple, which really proves scripture to be even more true. And we get different details from this, but he asked Philip, so why does he ask Philip? If we look at Luke 9, 10, it says, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now, that's important. So this is where Jesus was. This is Luke's account of this story. So this was around Galilee, and they were actually in this town. And then if we go to John 1:44, it says, now Philip was from Bethsaida. So here we have, this is where the disciples were. This is where Jesus was. And he asked Philip, hey, how are we going to feed all these people? And my first question is, why is he asking Philip? There's a lot of people he could ask. But the more that you read, you realize, hey, this is Philip's, this is Philip's stomping grounds. This is where he's from. So this is like Jesus teaching over in South Augusta. And I'm over there with a bunch of people not from South Augusta. He's like, hey, Dustin, how are we going to feed these people? Not because I'm the smartest, not because I'm the best, but because that's where I'm from. Because I know that area. I know those people. I know we're going to have to go to Veracruz because that's probably the only place you can eat. So I understand so he's asking Philip because this is where Philip was from. And this is just something cool to me that we can, we can look at the different scriptures and different gospels and find that, hey, this is why this happened. So he asked Philip, and Philip, being just a man of numbers, a man of statistics, a man of calculations, says, hey, we're going to need 200 denarii to be able to even feed these people just a small amount. And his calculations were correct. They were accurate. But there was a problem with this. So twofold problem, they didn't have the resources to buy enough food. And even if they did, they wouldn't be able to get that much. And Philip is understanding this because he understands the numbers. He's already, he's broken it down. He's put it in the charts. He knows there's no possible way for them to get this done. And that's his response to Jesus. He really gave his, his logical perception of the situation. And I'm wondering how often we get in situations and circumstances that we start giving God our logical perception of what can be done. Man, we're really trusting God to do something. We really want God to do something. We want God to just give his blessing and his provision. And we're constantly giving God our logical perception of the situation. Like, hey, I know that you probably could do this, but I've already done the calculations and I kind of know the numbers and I know there's really no way this could happen. And we write it off because our logic isn't the same as God's provision. Man, and this is important for us to understand this morning. Because Philip wasn't wrong. His calculations were accurate. There was a problem, and he gave what he thought was the answer to the problem. Hey, we need 200 denarii to feed all these people, even a little. Even a little. 
So his mindset was, hey, let's just give everybody a little bit. Let's give everybody just a, a little filling. And this is what it would cost to do that. And there's just no possible way. So not only was he being logical and calculated, he just limited what God could do in this situation because of his logic, because of his calculations. And I've told you this numerous times, but I'm just an analytical person. I'm a numbers person. I write numbers down everywhere to, to figure stuff out. And so I can relate to Philip. I can truly relate to, hey, I understand, God, you want to feed all these people, but there's no way that we could do this. This is what it would take. This is how much money. Even if we had it, there's not enough resources in this area for us to even get. There's just no possible way to get it done. And we begin to limit what God really can do and wants to do because of our calculations and our perception and our logic that we come up with in our own heads. And I think it's important that we truly understand that God doesn't work on our logic. God doesn't care about our calculations because his math is completely different because he's the God of multiplication. And he could take anything and make it more than what it ever was and make it more than what we'll ever be able to make it. So Philip gave his logical perception. And then we have Andrew. Andrew gave his leverage position as a follower of Jesus. So here we have Andrew introducing someone once again to Jesus. Now, let's go back up to verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So here we have Andrew introducing someone to Jesus. And the more that you learn about Andrew in Scripture, the more that you learn he is known for introducing people to Jesus. And we see this in John 12. It says in verse, starting in verse 20, it says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And then John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42 says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. So here... Andrew is giving his leveraged position as a follower of Jesus. He is following after Jesus. He's a disciple, and he's using that to introduce this young boy to Jesus. But not only did he introduce this young boy, we see that he's also introduced some other people to Jesus throughout his life. And man, I, I can't help but think, what if when I'm long gone from this place, people could say, hey, Dustin, this is what I remember about him. He introduced people to Jesus. And I leveraged my position as a follower of Christ to introduce as many people to Jesus as I could. What else could we want people to say about us? Is that, man, Dustin was known for introducing people to Jesus. I don't have a problem introducing people to my wife. 
I don't have a problem introducing people to my friends. Why would I ever have an issue or a problem introducing people to my Savior? Man, he's so worth it. And here we have Andrew, who is very insignificant in this text because it says Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he wasn't even a significant player in this story, except he introduced the boy to Jesus. He's the one that introduced his brother to Jesus, we just read. And man, it's really easy for us to think about Peter and man, it's just the life that he lived and the stories we get to read about him. Well, guess what? Andrew introduced him to Jesus. And we think about people like Billy Graham and how many people he touched through his preaching and through his ministry. And then we think, well, man, who introduced him to Jesus? And it was a guy by the last name of Ham that introduced Billy Graham to Jesus. You never know the multiplication that's going to take place because you leverage your position as a follower of Christ to introduce people to the Savior. Now, what if Andrew would have never introduced this boy? And I know, I mean, you could say, well, Jesus didn't really need the boy. He didn't really need the food. He could have done it anyway. And that's true. But man, he used this situation to still teach today the kind of Savior that he is. And Andrew, as insignificant as he was, played one of the biggest parts in this miracle by introducing another person to Jesus. Then the third character here that we see is the small boy. And he gives his lunch pieces to Jesus. He has some bread and some fish. And let's, let's kind of get a little detailed about this. So he had barley, which is one of the cheapest breads of that time. This fish that he had, obviously, it had to be some type of preserved fish for him to be taking it with him in a lunch. So most theologians and historians believe that this was some type of like sardine spread that he had to kind of put on the bread, which is nasty. But so think about how small this was. And I can just imagine, and this isn't in scripture but this is just me trying to think and imagine what was happening. And man, I can imagine this little boy going out to, for the day to, to go fish or to, to go and follow the crowd or maybe to go and, and enjoy the, the Jewish feast, the Passover. And his mom says, hey, before you leave, let me, let me just give you this lunch. And he takes what he can. And then they get to this place and Here's this dude, Andrew, who's following Jesus, who's a disciple of Jesus. And he says, hey, I really need you to come up here and see Jesus because we don't have any food. And I need to show him that you have something and maybe he could do something with it. And this little boy gives away his lunch. And I'm going to be honest with you. I probably would have never gave my lunch away as a boy. Just not something I was going to do. I'd trade you, but I wasn't giving you anything. And this, this little boy not really knowing, gave his food to Jesus and said, hey, I know that you could do more with it than I can do. 
And he willingly gives his lunch. A little bit of bread, a little bit of fish, and he willingly gives that away. Man, and I'm wondering what we give to Jesus. Do we give Jesus all of us? Do we give Jesus the significant part of our lives? Do we allow Jesus to work and to do things within us? Or are we just giving him the leftovers? Or are we just giving him what we don't really want? Or are we saying, hey, this is my lunch. This is what I have. I really wanted to eat this. But Jesus is the reason that I have it to start with and I'm going to give it back. The small boy didn't have to give his lunch to Jesus. But he did so willingly. And then we see the fourth person, and we're just going to spend the rest of our time here. But Jesus, Jesus gave his limitless provision. Jesus gave his limitless provision. This is, this is something that we know from this story, is it doesn't matter how much when it's in the hands of Jesus. Because it's different, right? If, if, if I put a basketball in my hands, no matter how good I think I am, no matter how good I actually am or how bad I am or whatever, it's just a basketball in my hands, right? But you put the same basketball in the hands of Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, it's a little different. There's some championships involved in that. There's a lot of money involved in that. Those are two of the greatest basketball players of all time. And it's the same thing with God. With a little bit of bread and some fish in my hands, might not be anything. But when it's in God's hands, it's everything. And here's one of the problems with our giving. Is that when we give, we don't really want to let go. We kind of want to hold one end while Jesus is holding the other end. And we're pulling and we don't want to let go because, man, we, we kind of want to keep our time really, man, structured. And we're going to give Jesus maybe 30 minutes, but that 31st minute, man, we're done. And we're just keeping our hand on that time. And we know that Jesus has given us some talents and man, we kind of want to give it to him, but we're really nervous and we'll give him a little bit, but we really want to keep our hand on the other end. So when we get too uncomfortable, we can just pull away. And it's the same thing with our finances that we talked about last week. Now we want to give God a little bit, but we don't want to give him too much because we got bills to pay. We got these new trucks to pay for, these new cars, these new houses. And we want to keep our hand on it. And I'm afraid that's what we do in all aspects of giving. Is that Jesus is saying, hey, give me your life. Give me every aspect of your life. And what we do is we, we put one foot in and we keep one foot out. We, we grab them with one hand and we keep one hand on the world. And we never want to go all in because, man, that's scary and we don't know what that looks like. But what it looks like is a changed life. What it looks like is a life transformed. What it looks like is a kingdom impact because you're allowing God to do something in your life that you would never be able to do on your own. 
Man, giving to Jesus is the best thing we could ever do. And it starts with giving him our lives. Because he doesn't want to just take what you have and do nothing with it. See, he's a God of multiplication. He wants to multiply it. He fed every single person that day. Over 5,000 people were fed. And not just a little bit like Philip's calculation. He fed until they were satisfied. He satisfied them. And then there was some left over. They gathered 12 baskets full. But here's the thing. And a lot of people think that the, the multiplication happened in the distribution. As he was distributing, it was just multiplied. But man, the miracle happened when it was in the hands of Jesus. It wasn't that when the disciples began to give it away that the miracle took place. The miracle took place as soon as it was in Jesus' hands. And that's how it is with us. Man, as soon as we give it to Jesus, miracles begin to happen. Things begin to change. He begins to do what only He can do. It's all about whose hands it's in. And we can continue to live life and try to control every situation. We can continue to live life and, and be exhausted and continue to live life and be uh, anxious and to be angry and to be bitter. We can continue to live life and to try to control all of these things on our own. And we're going to fail miserably and we're going to have a life that's not very full. Or we can choose to give God everything, to release control and watch how our lives begin to change to watch how he begins to work and to give us life to the fullest life more abundant how he begins to provide limitlessly and our minds can't understand when there's something with no limits right we just can't grasp that. There's limits on everything. There's limits on credit cards. There's limits on uh, the, a grade you can make, right? A hundred is the, the top limit. Unless there's a little extra credit, maybe you can get some more. But there's always a limit. There's always a stopping point. And that's how our brains work. That's how we're wired as humans. But then Jesus comes in and says, hey, there's no limit. There's no limit. My provision doesn't have a limit to it. I will provide for you. I will care for you. I will love you. And there's no limit to that love. There's no limit to that care. There's no limit to how much I will take care of you. I will multiply everything in your life. And again, I don't want you to think about money and becoming rich and living this prosperous, rich life that the world is called successful. We talked about this last week that success has been defined in our culture by something that's not biblical. Success is simply us chasing after Jesus and allowing him to do work in our life. And when he does that, man, things are never the same. If you can meet Jesus and nothing changes in your life, man, I would encourage you 
to really reflect and make sure that you met Jesus. Because when you meet the Savior of the world, your life is going to be different. It doesn't mean that you're going to be completely different and you're never going to do any of the stuff you were doing. It means that you have an encounter with Almighty God. And because of that encounter, your life is different. All throughout Scripture, anytime, every, or anytime someone would have an encounter with God, they were changed forever. And that's a good litmus test for us this morning. Has our heart been changed? Has our des- have our desires began to shift? Do we experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life? Are we truly following after Jesus? Psalm 107.9 says this, For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And God is a God who wants to give and give abundantly. And this is the true power of giving. As we close this morning, I want you to understand something about God. Is that God is a generous God. That God will give, that God will provide But I want you to also know that God doesn't want to be taken advantage of. That God wants us to love Him and He wants us to follow Him and He wants us to have a relationship with Him through Jesus. We can never get to a place in our life where we say, hey, we don't really have to do anything because He's already done it all. Because that's not what following Jesus means. It means that we're all in. It means that we're giving everything that we have to him. Because guess what? It's his anyway. Everything that you have, you wouldn't have it if it wasn't for him. And the power of giving is that when we actually give it to him and it's in his hands, it begins to multiply and things begin to happen that we could never imagine. That's the true power of giving is that we let go and allow God to do what only He can do. That we allow God to create multiplication. That we allow God to provide in ways that we could never provide. And God is a God of of grace and mercy and love. God is a God who wants to give and give generously. But he's not going to do it unless you begin to follow. He's never going to force you to want a relationship with him. And this morning as we sit here, and I, I want you to truly understand the fact that it doesn't matter how much. It matters whose hands it's in. It doesn't matter if it's just a little bit of bread and a couple fish. It matters that we put that in the hands of Jesus so that he could feed thousands and thousands of people. It doesn't matter if we have 30 minutes to give for an outreach event. 
Jesus can take that 30 minutes and change lives forever. It doesn't matter if we have one talent that he's given us, one spiritual gift, and we decide to just give it to him, and we don't think it's a whole lot. Maybe we're just really nice, and our talent is to say hey to people when they walk in the door, and he can take that talent, and he can change people's lives forever. It doesn't really matter the amount. It doesn't matter exactly what it is. It matters who has it and who's controlling it. I'm telling you what, I'd rather him control than me control. Because I'm going to mess it up. And he's never going to mess it up. So my prayer for us this morning is that we begin to truly give. We give everything. Starting with our lives, starting with our hearts. We give it to Jesus. We follow after him. And then we just give them control. We give them control of our relationships. We give them control of our marriages, of our, of our kids, of our, of our parents. We give them control of our friendships. We give them control of our, our jobs. We give them control of how we treat people. We give them control of our finances. We give them control of our time. We give them control of everything so that he can multiply and he can provide and ultimately the kingdom will be impacted forever. And there's no way to measure the return of that investment. He's calling us to give everything we are to him. So as you stand with me this morning, as we get ready to close, and I just want to pray for everyone this morning. And I want to pray that we all begin to give like never before. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.